Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian D. McCain. That D stands for? Delirious today, maybe? Deli- I don't know. Uh, no, Brian's never delirious. We just don't talk about it. That's what it stands for. Don't, don't talk, talk about, about it. it. Don't discuss it. You don't know. So um, I have to tell you, I, I went back and I started watching some of the older episodes that we have of Making Action Happen. Not older, older, but, you know, from a few months back. And then I was watching <laughs> back when the election, just right after the primaries or right before the primaries. And and uh, we that's when we really started doing all these candidate um, or candidate forum, not forum, but discussions. And so it was really, really cool to sort of see where we were at then in our thinking and what we thought this all was going to look like and where we're at now. And I have to tell you, um, on some of the things you were right on everything, of course, he always is right on everything. Um, but, um, this has, this election season hasn't gone exactly the way it's there's been some interesting things that have happened but we really wanted to have all these great discussions we've had them and i think i like them a whole lot more than debates even though they're way better well um i was at csu pueblo today Mm -hmm. um i spoke in a public policy class and um, one thing that everybody wanted to talk about wasn't policy it was politics like the the election and where it's going the, the exciting stuff, not the boring stuff. Right. Um, but one of the kids asked, and I call them kids, and, and they're probably 20, um, asked, you know, why don't we see more candidates come on and just, like, talk about the issues instead of doing the debates or running commercials for 30 seconds? And I was like, funny, you should ask that. Should and then ask. I emailed all these out, and the teacher is like, oh, I'm making all my kids watch this. Uh, this is great. This is what we want to see. Thank you for doing this. So, um People appreciate it, I think. Right it's now. so much it's so much better. That's why we're doing all of these. Now, that doesn't say that debates aren't great. Debates are great. We haven't hosted um, any debates. Of course, I'm moderating the gubernatorial debate next week here in Pueblo. Um, and we like that format. But this just seems so much more genuine. So today, we're going to do yet another one with Carol Riggenbach, who is from the San Luis Valley. We've gotten to know her over the last few months. She joined Action 22. Um, and then, of course, you know, she's from the San Luis Valley. So all of the, our roads connect with her roads. In fact, she was going to Adams at the same time I was attending Adams. Adams, um, and we never met because um, I lived on campus and she did not because she was already doing amazing things with her life at that point. And I was mainly just chasing guys, you know, that kind of thing. I was I was a baby and just didn't know what I was doing. Living but the college life. I was living the college life. We're not discussing the details on that one. 
That being said, Carol, thanks so much for being here and coming on. It was so great when I first met you. Um, you had been emailing me and texting me, and I and I was going to be down the valley. And we were we went and had lunch at one of my favorite old school places, Hunan's in yes. Alamosa. <laughs> and I felt really bad because I kept taking calls and doing all this, but it oh, was such no. a great conversation. And I was really glad to have you as a member of Action Twenty Two that you. you're running. I think you're running for all the right reasons. So. Will you start by just giving everybody a background on who you are and what prompted you or what encouraged you or why you're actually running? It's not an easy thing to do. No, it's not. <laughs> but uh, and I and I'm surprised as I go along on this road, what I'm learning and what's and how this works for candidates and, and the process within this industry, the Politic industry. So, but I, I decided to run, uh, just because I, I had been doing a lot of homework trying to figure out what is going on, what is really happening, um, within our state when COVID hit. And I was just working along, had my home care agency. I'm a nursing home and assisted living and home care. Um, administrator mm-hmm. and have been for nearly 30 years. And I actually started out as a certified nurse assistant. So, and I was doing that too while I'm um, going to Adam state. Oh, wow. Yeah. And had little ones. So, uh, when I was figuring out what was really going on and the, what was happening at our legislative level, then it, it got my attention because Things went so bad for nursing homes. In fact, Colorado, you know, we ended up being number one in nursing home deaths. Number one in nursing home deaths. And most people will think of Cuomo in New York City for yeah. that, right? But um, no, Colorado, we get to be number one in that one too. And um, that that was not okay for me. Not okay for me, let alone... Of anything that I am, I think people would call me an infection control queen because that's what I would teach and that's what I taught my staff, all my nursing staff uh, and visitors and family when norovirus would go through or flu or whatever was happening and going on. I was very attentive to that and didn't, did not want any of my seniors to be hurt. And so then when the lockdowns happened and you isolated seniors in into their apartments and I could go into all kinds of stories of what really did happen and what was what we were told to do which would probably shock you guys um that's when I said okay enough's enough already I can't take this um and yeah it, it's just super heartbreaking even now there's still stuff going on yeah even now yeah, and it, it's funny because this policy came down from the state and the federal level to a point. And one thing that always bothered me in politics, you have elected individuals making rules, regulations, and laws on industry that they're not a part of. That could be small business, like how many small business owners are elected um, federally or in the state. Nursing, healthcare. I think at one point, you know, we had three doctors that were serving in Congress, something like that. Uh, and one of them was a veterinarian. Um, right. And then same thing with small business. Now you got like a million lawyers up there or, or uh, lobbyists that run or, you know what I mean? But um, these people were making decisions on healthcare and they don't understand it. And this is what motivated you to run. It is 
Completely, because I, I, I want to represent the people. And I don't know if there's ever been a nursing home administrator that's ever ran. Um, I would think that'd be pretty odd. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so we are an odd breed, I guess, and especially because I've hung in, for, in with it for so long and then started my own home care business, my home, my own home care agency, again, because I was pissed off. Because seniors were getting ripped off by long-term care um, insurance companies. They couldn't get help at home. And so I'm a good fighter in that world, too. So, uh, But I believe that the people should be represented by someone that's just plain old blue-collar American worker. And that's what I am. And started out on a shoestring with nothing. And um, when you just stick with it, then you um, eventually... You know, things turn come around, and over the course of time, you can look back and say, wow, I guess I really did get something done. And so I bring a lot to the table. Uh, my grandfather actually was Cherokee on my dad's side, and on my mom's side was Choctaw, and you met my mother. I did. Yeah. So... Um, we're actually registered with the Choctaw tribe, not with the Cherokee tribe. My grandpa was way too proud. But back in the summer of 1927, I have an article that uh, he took a whole expedition. He took a reporter from the Pueblo Chieftain to the sand dunes and showed this uh, reporter the sand dunes burial ground and it was before the sand dunes was the sand dunes before it was a monument or national preserve so uh so that's a pretty cool thing too and so i i have deep roots i say i'm a fourth generation yet my family yeah exactly so it's funny because my grandfather um used to run before they moved to pueblo um when he was growing up there ran sheep over up over medno Oh, yeah, yeah. And go to that. Mm-hmm. And so cattle and sheep, and he was one of those low-level. Oh, yeah. Had to do all the nasty oh, stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, wait, and what year did your, what, because now I want to go look up this article. Yeah, and I'll have to, you know what, I had a bit on my Facebook page. Oh, okay. The summer of 1927. It's one of the first things that I posted when the summer began mm-hmm. so that because they were really uh, promoting the great sand dunes. And so you can see it there because I thought, Oh, people will love this. And it's, it's a framed newspaper article. And my grandpa, he wrote down on the bottom in his um, uh, kind of shaky handwriting in the summer. And he spells summer with one M. It's so cute. 1927. So yeah, you'll, if you look on the Facebook page, you'll see it. It's a pretty cool little story and article about their trip. And it shows my grandpa and then my great, my great grandfather. So his father with greyhounds with the horses getting ready to go out to um, go check out the burial grounds. That's super cool. That's super cool. We'll check that out. So, you know, there's a saying that goes, um, the person that develops and learns the most through a campaign is usually the one that is winning or wins, ends up winning the campaign. So you can see a candidate and we all sort of watch because we want to know what kind of legislator you're actually going to be. So we watch what you do or some of us really watch what the candidates do. So along that vein, um, tell us some of the things that you were shocked 
um, or surprised you to learn some something that when you started this campaign, um, you thought one thing and now you think something completely different? Well, I think one of the things that I was shocked by is the number of emails asking you to fill out questionnaires. Yes. <laughs> Do you guys hear that all the time? Yes. Yeah, yes. Um, that's something that nobody said anything about that. And not that I, that would have changed my mind. It was like, okay. it. You know what this really kind of reminds me of is my experience in corporate America where you have to be careful and you you watch um, what's going on and you learn and you know who, you just learn the players, mm-hmm. right? And you know how, you learn how to walk amongst the players and so that you can be the most effective, right? So, because you're there to get a job done. Mm-hmm. And sometimes um, the, the very people that are supposed to be helping can be the most difficult and make things really harder for you to get the yes. job done, even though they're expecting you to get the job done. So that's why I find the political industry very similar to my corporate experience. So uh, I think as far as where I have possibly changed my mind, uh, that I thought one thing, I you know, I think more than anything, probably I, it just confirmed to me all the more reason why we've got to be represented by a real working person. There's, uh, you know, I got asked yesterday during a podcast, and I was asked, so do you need to have political background? Do you need to have experience, legislative experience to be able to run? Should you, should a candidate have that? And I said, no. Uh, and simply because, again, to really represent the people, you need to have been been with the people, not so far removed. And there's plenty of people at the Capitol that I'm learning about that are there to help you, to write legislation, to do policy. There's all the lobbyists. There's great people like you all that have organizations that we can learn from and that you're the experts in policy that we can go to, we bring we bring our real life experience and we match it up with your experience within the political industry and then we come up with something that's a real solution for the people of our state. That's a very good point. Um, you hear this a lot in campaigns. It's like, well, I have the experience in legislation or working in this. I don't think that's a good thing. Now, do you have to have the ability to learn? Yes, you right. want that. But there are resources for you, and if you're already in that, um, it's the same thought process, right? You Sometimes you need an outside view to come in and influence it and work on legislation. And I think that's so important. And it's a, it's a citizen legislature. It's not a professional political legislature. It's a citizen legislature. It's people that are working that have jobs that go up to the big dome and you know, they, they make the laws that impact their industry or what they're doing and the working people. So I appreciate that very much. Well, thank you. I agree. I think that's really super important that um, we just keep that connectivity to our people. And when I'm making phone calls and when I'm knocking on doors or when I'm at all kinds of um, parades and events that I've done and been at and people talk to me, I don't want to ever, ever, ever lose connectivity with my people. I love them. Yeah. yeah. So we, we talked about the COVID part, and that's kind of your the catalyst that got you to run. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the issues, like top three issues that you're running on? 
You know, I, when we see what inflation is doing to our state and when I see what it's doing to my people, uh, it, obviously we are we hit another number one. We're yep. number one in inflation. <laughs> so yep. uh, so that's really important to me. And when, I, when I've dug and I've done my research, I've really dug in and tried to figure out, so where are we headed now? Because you hear the... Uh, election year uh, talk about um, this tax or that fee, and we're we're only going to charge one dollar to start a new business. But then, if you really look behind the curtain, you find out that that's only that's temporary, and then that's going to cost some money. When you look at the gas tax that's going to come up here, um, that's going to be an ouchie. I think it's fifty one cents that's going to be coming up on all of us per gallon. And so when I look at that, uh, I see the financial situation as a, as a real issue that legislation needs to be written. Legislation needs to be done to counter what is going to be hitting us. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of expenses that are going to be hitting us in all kinds of areas. And of course, you know, you guys can see all my notes here, but, um, uh, you can tell I nerd out when I research, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, when we've got a $38 billion budget mm-hmm. that we're going to be, fa- um, that we're facing. And if, if you think about government does not make money. Government does not generate money. Mm-hmm. Government only spends money. So when you look at how much $38 billion is, that's going to come from us. <laughs> that $38 billion is going to come from us. And it's going to hurt. It's going to really hurt. And we're not feeling it right now. We're, you know, not feeling it. But we're going to really feel it, I believe, after the first of the year. And so I think that's important. Uh, obviously, water. Water is, um, is, prob- is really the number one thing for me in my district because of House District 62 having the San Luis Valley. And uh, with my farming background, I can bring to the table, I can bring real knowledge to the Ag and Livestock Committee, and I can actually sit at a table with those other farmers and ranchers and be able to keep up. So it's interesting, um, you should know, and you hear it's it misquoted a few times, but um, there's only one legislator, and, uh, and he's our favorite legislator, honestly. Um, I'm never going to apologize for saying that he's absolutely our fav- favorite legislator is Cleve Simpson, um, and he's the only one in the legislature in Colorado that actually owns any water rights. Um, just himself that they like as person, but there's only about what 12, I think maybe 12 legislators out of, out of a hundred um, that either um, are ag producers or ranchers um, or have experience in that right now. So right this second um, and, and we just lost We just lost one with uh, Carrie Donovan yeah. Um so she's not there anymore. So we need that really strong ag presence, especially for rural, because it's number two mm-hmm. in, the, in the state. It's our number two um, 
uh, contributor to the economy, um, but it's maybe in the future number one. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So it's not that far down the road that, that it could be number one for Colorado. Absolutely. And, you know, I used to own water, too. So now I can't say that I can be there with Cleve. But I had water. You know. Right, you right. I, yeah, I did have um, water rights. And I only had five shares on the Rio Grande Canal, and that was not enough to sustain what my little circle of alfalfa. I actually saved up my money as a young nursing home administrator in my 20s and bought that field um, on Road G in Lagarita and uh, worked it myself. I crop shared with other farmers that had equipment, but I didn't just lease it. I actually did it with them, and I made decisions when to water, when to shut it down and um, when to actually cut and bale and such. But uh, it's a big deal to own water in the San Luis Valley. And so you're so astute to be able to actually recognize that Cleve is the only one that actually owns water, Mm -hmm. surface water rights. And that's going to be a big deal, a very big deal uh, that we understand that and that we know the – um, that we really understand what we own. And then when you look at HR um, 5118, mm-hmm. that has those, uh, I think, 48 different bills in it, and one of them is HR 7793, mm-hmm. that can really uh, affect us in the upper Rio Grande Basin. Uh, it's for Colorado, New Mexico, and Texas. And if you look at that, HR 7793, you know, most, I, Cleve actually, um, Senator Simpson actually testified, um, for that one. And so did our attorney for the state. Cause it, it may just look like a work group, but then when you read about it and you, and you see what the work group is supposed to implement. Yes. Yep. It's supposed to implement. That's scary. Yeah, and, and that's we've discussed it on the the show. A few oh, have times. you? Yeah. Okay. And, and so they're they're aware of it. But I, I mean, the fight for water in the valley—that's no big deal right now. With there's nothing going on with that at the moment, right? <laughs> oh yeah, no. You know, we read about it every day. So update us on the latest. Well, you know, I think one thing that when I think about like what could I tell people, what what's important for people to know, I think the biggest, one of the biggest thing is like, so how did all this start anyway? Well, a lot of us um, that are older, we remember AWDI, right? Yes. So AWDI, that actually came from former Governor Lamb. In 1992, mm-hmm. correct? Um, it was in, uh, I believe... You may be right on the money. It said, you know, I read an article that said in the 80s, yeah. we were fighting AWDI. Yeah. But it passed in 1992. Yeah, no, it took five yeah. years. Yeah. yeah, Five years plus extensive litigation. And I remember that. And I remember the judges. I remember, well, because I was farming. I was married to a potato farmer. And so we were right in the middle of it. Now, there was no sub-districts, and we hadn't been challenged yet on the aquifers yet. That hadn't happened yet. There was plenty of water, plenty of water. And I remember in the day when the water would come down in the ditches and the farmers would be irritated by it because it was overflowing into the field. It was causing tractors to get stuck. Wow. Yeah. That. uh, Yeah. But they'd love to have that problem right Right? now. I know. (laughs) And, you know, and even if you guys go in the valley, and here's my um, 
history showing up. But if you go in the valley and you, you're driving across some of the back roads, and if you see the great big drainage ditches, uh-huh. mm-hmm. if you'll see there's sometimes there's a big oh square box, little hole coming out of the ground into the ditch. There's some actually wooden little channel drainage. Because you could dig, what, three feet? I remember right. when yeah. I was a kid, you dig three feet and you ran into water. But so with AWDI, uh, they, there was plenty of water, so supposedly. The ca- channel. Oh, so they built the channel and then you drive past it every time you go to Alamosa now. It's a reminder. Yeah. Yes. That, yes. You know, if there's plenty of water, then we're going to take it from you. And we're going to ship it someplace else. And then we'll see what happens in 40 years. I know. It's terrible. And then now with RWR, guess where that came from? Another former governor. Mm -hmm. And so that former governor, Bill Owens. So um, here we are with that. And actually, he got his former, and I don't think I wrote it down. um, And I actually knew this family very well. And I took care of Mama, that they um, had ownership on the Baca uh, but anyway, that's where he bought hit a lot of his own water and his ownership and got into this RWR. And then here we are. Now we've, uh, we've, uh, dodged that bullet so far with Douglas County for the time being, for the, for the time being. Exactly. And so when you have to think about, uh, when you look at HR 7793 and when you have all the federal government CEOs in charge and there's no local people that are even listed on that. Uh, you know, even when you think about the upper Rio Grande Basin roundtable folks and the Conservancy District and all the great things that Heather Dutton does, um, let alone Craig Cotton, everyone, let alone Senator Simpson, yep. right? And granted, not everybody's liked all the time because you're talking water. I remember my grandpa used to be a ditch rider with a shotgun. <laughs> and... um Interestingly enough, down that little rabbit trail, I taught, I was making phone calls in Pueblo and I actually talked to someone who was telling me that there are, um, uh, shots being made and guns are being packed in the San Luis Valley right now, um, for ditch riders and water wow. commissioners. So it's, it's, it's getting heavy, but I'm surprised it hasn't happened already. Uh-huh. Me too. So, um, but water is definitely an issue and, uh, it's something that's got to be a priority and it's something that we can't hire a rookie. We need, and I, I mean that, I mean that respectfully. We need to have somebody on the ag committee. The San Luis Valley has to be represented on the ag committee. Yes. We just do. And Pueblo, when I speak to the people here in Pueblo and in Huerfano County, they completely agree. Yeah. They, they, they completely agree. They, HD 62 needs to be on the ag committee. Well, the, and part of the reason why is because even though there's the pass between us, um, Levita pass between us, these are all generational connections going back since before we were even part of the United States. Right. Um, and so the, it, it does my heart so much good to talk with somebody who's running for a major office who understands water. That's one of the things it's really easy to run over people on an issue if they don't know anything about it. So then they take information, they don't have any experience in it or whatever. Um, and that's why our list is water's the very top of our list of issues that we look at. So um, that is huge and it's rare. 
It's as rare as our water is right now. You know, I, it's part of the research that I did too when I was considering running. I would have never got into this if I thought I was unqualified. Never. Never. Not at all. I really am taking this serious and I want to do an excellent job. That's what I've done with everything that I've done. And I don't do something haphazard. And again, it's so important that we, that somebody very knowledgeable can sit with the other farmers and ranchers and be able to keep up. So another issue that comes up for all of our candidates running is public safety. And I put this in and these are separate, but it's, it goes to crime and homelessness. And I think that they're interwined. Some people may disagree with me. So I always say, like, what are you going to do about crime and homelessness? So what's uh, what's your thoughts on that? You know, so again, doing more homework, right? So probably you all know about the tent city in Alamosa. Yes. Yes, we have that. And I actually helped a gentleman set up a tent, and I videotaped it when I went in there. And, um, and so I've actually seen it. Talk to the people that are in there, and granted, I didn't go by myself. <laughs> so, um, granted, the people are nice and all, but you you just never know what desperation will cause people to do, right? So, and then when I look at the homelessness that we've got in House District sixty two, and we look at our beautiful river, and we see that um, what is happening to our beautiful river, and you think about us law abiding, tax paying, hardworking citizens. And where do we rate with criminals or with people who just decide, you know what, I just want to be homeless. I don't want to work. And I totally respect that uh, choice. However, your choice to be homeless and maybe have to be desperate in how you go get your next fix, if that's maybe what you're doing too, not that all homeless people do drugs, Um, but if you're also doing that and you've made all these life choices, there needs to be some consequences for those life choices. You just don't get to camp out on a pristine, um, riverbank, um, and pollute. And same, even when I look at tent city and I've got footage of, um, what's happening there, it's, it's not sustainable. We can't do this. And it's not fair to the taxpayers. And I actually talked to some steel workers too. And, um, they're, uh, migrant steel workers that have come over from Mexico and they're legal, right? And they're hardworking steel workers that are sick and tired, their words, of, uh, handouts for other people. Right. So when you look at that, too, um, you have to wonder how much that plays into the homelessness, supporting the homelessness as far as just handouts and then the drugs, um, the crime and the crime that's driven. I need my next fix. So I'm just going to go commit the crime when I'm walking the streets of Pueblo and I'm knocking on doors. I meet so many people. I even took a picture of this gentleman, this older man, 80 some years old, just lost his wife. He's mowing his lawn and he tells me that he sleeps with a 45, I think. And, um, he has to do that because he's trying to protect his neighborhood. So, and really should a 85 year old man have to sleep with his 45? Yeah. It just, um, so I believe what we need to do is we need to have legislation that actually addresses that. So where, if you choose to be homeless, where, where are you going to go? What do you get to just camp out and be wherever you want? Uh, I did a ride along with the Pueblo, um, police 
And um, that night we had to taser a man. We weren't going to, we were just going to remove him from the property. We got called that he was on some private property. We were just going to remove him, but he started reaching for stuff. And the officer had no idea what he was reaching for. Ended up tasering him. He had heroin and meth. That was the first time he'd even seen heroin. We have to go put, you know, take care of it. Hopefully it's not laced with fentanyl. And they have this really cool hood thing that as they're unpacking it to protect the officer. So that was nice too. But again, so here we are spending so much time and energy on somebody's choice just to be homeless and lay wherever they want to. So we've got to address, we've got to have some legislation. We have homelessness. We got to deal with it. Yeah. And for people that may not be aware, so the house district 62, a lot of people think of the Valley or if that area, right. But Pueblo is in that. And I, yes. and I believe the stretch of Pueblo that's in it, um, is one of the hardest impacted stretches mm-hmm. when it comes to homelessness and crime right now. Correct. Yes. And you'll hear that from, from my people, East side, um, especially when you talk about East side, we've got East side up to uh, highway 50 mm-hmm. and then Bessemer, which is over there by, um, St. Mary Corwin. Mm-hmm. And then we've got South side. Um, so I, I love it. I love my district and I love my people and it's the old part. It's the old, small, tiny homes that were the still workers homes. It's so cool because it's so me, the, the seniors and the old, um, history that was there and to honor them, um, and to respect what those people did long, long time ago. And it was the best of Pueblo back then. So just out of curiosity, and I ask uh, a lot of people who will talk about homelessness, um, a lot of people aren't brave enough to, by the way, especially if they're running for office. But um, when you were down in the tent city and and Alamosa and anyone that you've seen here, um, were they from the San Luis Valley or are they from where they're they're? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Most of them are. And it's interesting That's because interesting. some of them travel Pueblo to Alamosa, Pueblo to Alamosa. And you know what's really neat about it, though, too, is that you see some people are taking in family. They're taking in family that have decided to be homeless, but then they're going to go to, um, they're going to go back to the San Luis Valley uh, during, but during this winter, they're not going to be able to live in the tents. You know, it just makes me wonder. And I love our mayor, Ty Coleman. You know, he does such a great job and he's, um, and he commits, you know, when he decides to do something and decides to help, he's not wishy-washy. He, um, he goes for it and he helps. And so I, I certainly respect him and the, his, um, what he's what he's trying to tackle there and La Puente and all the people that work for La Puente and what they're trying to do for it as well. So uh, I just think it's important that we really tackle homelessness in legislature. We need to have some people come to the table. And honestly, I've talked to a young lady that um, she's a whiz with uh, La Puente and I used to babysit her a long time ago. And now she she's an expert. Honestly, boy, I learned a lot from her just sitting down and having dinner one night with her. And man, she just unloaded and she just talked straight with me and told me straight on what she thinks. And I think she's spot on, you know. Um, and so there's some real experts out there that we can bring to the table. You know, when you think about homelessness, too, you know, you've got drug situations and you know, you have mental health situations. How much of the mental health situations are being brought on by the drugs? 
Right. Right. And so there you go. What came first, the chicken or the egg? And so we've got to deal with crime. We have to deal with crime and fentanyl and the loose uh, rules that we have on um, fentanyl and all kinds of drugs. And people just get a run um, buckshot with their drugs and whatever else they want to do. And so when you think about the felonies and the misdemeanors um, that have been dropped down to misdemeanors, uh, that's a situation. And it's obvious by speaking to the police officers and the police chief that's here uh, and all the community programs that he's put on, he's done an excellent job with that. So we, we, they definitely, I agree with you, they go hand in hand. And uh, we've got to have legislation that deals with this. It has been brought up many times on our show that a lot of this is a result of legislation that was passed in the past few years, and it's not political anymore. It is um, bipartisan for our rural communities down here. When you have uh, a Democrat district attorney saying, like, look, this is a result of this, and I generally support this type of thing, but this is the result, and we need to put a stop to this and change this. Um, it, but But it's tough because the... The cat's already out of the bag. Oh, yeah. So that's where it's going to be challenging for anybody that gets up there and is elected how to address this, to change it or pull some things back that were um, instituted with this. Um, some good news, though. The uh, I'm going to butcher it, but it's the homeless contribution tax credit yeah. rural. It did pass. We supported that. That was a big push by La Puente down in the valley, which basically gives a larger tax credit for donations, philanthropic donations to the rural communities because, you know, Denver has money and I want to donate to the homeless shelter. I'm going to donate to Denver. But now if I want to donate to the Valley or Pueblo, I get a little bit more back on my Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That is good news. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, like you said, this um, the cat's out of the bag. I I always call it, too, that the trains left the station, and we are running (laughs) behind this train, right, to try to catch up with it. And it's got a full head of steam. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a full head of steam on it. So um, I'm going to end with that question for you. You know, you're going to be in the minority if, if you win. How do you work with, operate, reach across the line to get things done? You know, what within everything that I've done within my lifetime and learning how to work with people and to come to some agreement in some difficult situations that maybe we just don't necessarily agree. And when you think about uh, healthcare and when I'm taking care of your mom, your grandma, um, and working with a physician, uh, we all may not agree. And um, we can get in some really heated situations. And even if um, th- there can be really some hot things that I've gotten into in my day. So uh, what I've always strived to understand to do. And even with my staff, when I'm working with my staff and I'm trying to build a super team that can really um, perform at its best is first I must understand before I can be understood. And I really try to live by that because I really need to understand where you're at and where you're coming from and what you're trying to do. And then I always believe that I've got to have faith in you. I've got, to, I've got to look at you and have faith that you want to do good. You're wanting to fix it. Just like I'm wanting to fix it, you're wanting to fix it too. I have to have faith in you. 
And then I really got to believe that and, and, and dive in and try to understand what you, where you're at and what you're thinking. And then I can craft my communication to try to fit you so we can really communicate so I can hear you, you can hear me, and we can try to get somewhere. So if somebody wants to know more about you, where do they go? They can go to my um, website, carolforcolorado.com. I think another really good place where you learn about candidates is on their Facebook pages. I think you'll really see, you'll really learn about the candidate. You'll really learn about, so what are they doing? What are they up to? And granted, I'm not very good at Twitter, even though you'll see me on Twitter, and I promise I'll try to get better. But it's tough to do all of it. So I do um, try to, I, I keep up really well with Facebook. And so then you can um, know where I'm at. And you'll also see some of my Facebook posts on my website. So you'll also see that as well. And, you know, can I put in a commercial? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Okay, so there's one little thing that happened with the Tabor refund, right? The Tabor refund did not get out to the folks that didn't file a tax return. And so it's super, super important. And I talk to people all the time about this, that if you didn't file a tax return or if you know someone who didn't, uh, you can still get your $750. So you need to... um She's specifically talking about seniors yes. who wouldn't have filed. It's not somebody who's trying to avoid paying their taxes. She's yeah. talking about seniors. Yes, exactly. Seniors. And I've made a flyer. You'll actually find it on my Facebook page, too. And I've tried to make this super easy. And there are some disabled veterans that mm-hmm. if, if and why you went to file the tax return is because you didn't qualify. You didn't make enough money to file a tax return. So then what you can do is you can just take a picture of this little QR code, right? And then pull down the form. And then on lines one, five, and seven, you just write zeros, sign on page four, and you're done. And you mail it in. And you can get your $750. I can't tell you how many thousands of people felt um, fit in this. Yes. And so this is just, um, and $750 can go so far. It can really help somebody, especially a little nursing home senior who only gets about 55, $75 a month for everything that they've got to buy for themselves in a nursing home. So let alone all of you at home or wherever you may be and all of your friends and your sisters and your aunties, I've passed out a lot of these at food lines too, where you're giving out food. And so, um, we'll put it up there. We'll put it up. Yeah. We'll thank you so much for the time too. for yeah. the commercial. So, so they, and thank you all. And thank you for providing this, um, forum for all the people of Southern Colorado and you guys rock. And I know you, this is a blood, sweat and tears project and it's appreciated. Well, and props for actually putting the American flag the right way. On the, the I see so many of these where it's the the corners on the wrong spot. So yeah, my I'm a stickler um, about that. My family comes from the military. My son was the Air Force, and my dad, and then my papacito, my stepdad, um, was in Vietnam. So yeah. Cool. Well, um, time for the disclaimer. Action 22 does not endorse candidates during an election season, but we do support our members, including members running for office. So if you are a member of Action 22 and you're running for office, hit us up at show at action22.org. Again, show at action22.org. And come on, Making Action Happen, and tell us what you're about.
So we have, uh, we've already put the stuff out for the, our annual meeting, which will happen in Pueblo on the 21st and 22nd um, of October. So you will have just gotten your ballot. Um, we're going to do a lot of uh, great stuff with our candidates, our members um, who are running for office. Uh, and so you're going to get to see them. We have a lot of um, interesting on the interesting presentations on the top issues that we are discussing all the time from experts who are not running for office. Um, and we will have um, the executive branch will be also presenting um, at that. And we're all going to go to a hockey game together. Um, so that'll be a whole lot of fun. <clears throat> That's coming up again on October 21st and 22nd. If you want more information from that, you can, for that, you can email us at show at action22.org, or you can go to our website at action22.org. Um, Chad Vorthman, I know you're listening. It was so great to see you this week. Um, Brian was particularly happy um, to get out of, of Pueblo and get up to Denver. <clears throat> I have to say, though, my very thing, very, very, very favorite thing about you, Chad Vorthman, is Garen. So um, it's so smart. She's so good at everything she does. So anyways, we'll see you in a few weeks. Um, and thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thanks. This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders, XL Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.